Spirituality is really the practice of thinking with love, thinking with love. And we can train ourselves to keep returning to love via our thoughts. Return to love with your mind. You can do this over and over again. Let's do it over and over again together. I am Danielle Laporte, and this is With Love, Danielle. Hello, my friends. Last episode, I was speaking about the ego and the ego just being an exaggerated sense of a separate self and how that the ego, for all the trouble it can cause us, for all the trouble we let it cause us, uh, it's really just a gift to point us to our true self, our divine self. Today I want to talk about where the ego hides, how those subtleties of the mind look for places to not be found, the ways that we tell ourselves that we're less than, the ways that we put on these masks of bravado and different identities, the ways that like we're a little bit greedy, we're a little bit insecure. We might be a whole lot soft-spoken because we don't feel that we deserve to have our place at the table. We might be walking through the business world like we are the king or the queen when really those are just masquerades that we get from different how-to programs and ways to don our persona so we don't have to really get to our intimacy. Anyway, (laughs) I might have been to one of those workshops. If you were the ego, if you were wanting to hide your insecurity, if you were wanting to look amazing and virtuous, where would you go to hide? How about a personal development workshop? How about church? The ego's favorite place to hide is in the whole personal development landscape because self-helpers and you know us spiritual seekers if you're here I'm sure you've given yourself that label we really know how to strive (laughs) and striving is classic egoing so as I've defined before egoing is the opposite of loving egoing is this beautiful term from Adi Ashanti one of my favorite teachers and the idea here is that the ego is not so much this personality that sits outside of ourselves that we need to wrangle. It's really just a way of behaving. Egoing is a way of being that is counter to acceptance and counter to community. So speaking of communities, there is that dynamic of groupthink that is really strong within the self-help, the motivational world, right? Um, We think that because we are gathered for the purposes of raising our consciousness, of doing good in the world, that the predominant paradigm in that group is something that we just like need to ingest without thinking twice about it. And you know what? Maybe that's true. Sometimes. Maybe it's true often. Maybe it's true for the community that you're in right now that the spiritual values are really 
aligned with real love, with divine love, that compassion is being embodied, that inclusiveness is actually going on, and that the how-tos and the principles and the practices of that culture feel like such a fit to how your soul has designed your life this time. It's just a yes. That happens a lot. And if you're in that space, then what a great blessing, you know. And the opposite is true, that spiritual circles are the perfect place for this really covert kind of ego striving. Because self-helpers and spiritual seekers, you know, we're upholding these values of humility and unity and compassion, right? And it's a lot of upholding. And then on top of that, there's our charity donations and our peace rallies and our activism and our petitions and that kind of upholding, that structure can actually create barriers. We can get so attached to our spiritual ideals that we actually move into the game of the mind, which is always going to divide things, and we move out of the heart center, which is always going to welcome all things in. It's like being on the path, quote, (laughs) and doing the work, quote, it appears to be anything but arrogant or like self-serving, right? And then we have the philosophies of peace that are spoken very softly. We hear a lot from organized groups about self-sacrifice. And this all looks extra good, actually looks kind of hot in black stretchy yoga pants, to say, you know, I'm body positive, I'm a meditator, I'm, I'm journaling daily, I'm fighting for peace. You, you caught that one, right? Fighting for peace? So let me go back to the ego mind for a second. Its job is to create separation. And the myth of separateness, the myth of abandonment, that we were abandoned by the people who raised us, that we've been abandoned by our guides, by our God, by our own dreams. That myth really leaves an imprint on the psyche. We carry that around, I think, for lifetimes. And the myth of abandonment just keeps us on the merry-go-round of proving, proving our worth, striving, Uh, working to earn divine favor. It shows up in all ways, but particularly in the self-help space, uh, overtly in religions. You know, church and state have been capitalizing, profiteering off of our abandonment issues for eons, for ages. It's in our daily environment. Our whole globalized economic system, hello, capitalism, is based on the expectation of endless, ceaseless growth of perpetual progress. And it's really hard to get away from, whether you're a small business or you're a single mom or you're working for a nonprofit. And by its very definition, endless growth is unsustainable. But that's the insanity of the mind, right? Keep going. Keep proving. Crush that goal. Oh, got that goal? Not done yet. Get to the next goal. Get that money, get that job, get that relationship, perfect that relationship this weekend and get that high of your desires being met. Oh, have a fight on Monday morning. You see, it's constant striving. You never get there. This is the bucket list of the hungry ghost. Strive, keep striving. But we know this is madness. Everything keeps growing. You know, the universe is always expanding. 
but nothing continues to progress without some shifts in its cycles. So there's growth, and there's ripeness, and there's decay. It's not just constant, unabated growth. But on a personal level, we hold ourselves to the same expectations as really sociopathic companies, multinational insanity um, that is driven to just show its shareholders how much better the company is this year than last. We see the same dynamic in the whole social media realm, right? More followers. There's no rest. It's madness. And this constant striving is terrible for the planet, and it's terrible for the people who live on it. So let's go back to doing the quote-unquote work. I think the work is light work. It's bringing love and compassion to everything that's going on. and the practices, all the spiritual practices of being a meditator or living more contemplatively or say being a vegan or a vegetarian or journaling daily or volunteering, you know, fighting for peace, all of it, body positivity. All of those choices can come from one's heart. Every single one of those offerings, let's say, can really be this bona fide outpouring of love. They can really be expressions of our dedication to loving kindness. And those same actions can come from a darker place. So virtuous looking actions looks good on the outside. Sometimes they're puppeteered by the shadow self. And that shadow self is pulling your strings by telling you that you need to constantly improve, that you need to be constantly burning your bad karma. And that unhealed self that's pushing us for spiritual striving, sometimes it gets even more twisted and it tells us that we can float above it all, be above all the pain and the culture and the society um, that we are above all those human struggles of jealousy or heartbreak or depression because, you know, we're more spiritual and evolved than all of our normie, unspiritual neighbors. So you can have the same spiritual practice that's driven by different motivations. And this is where virtues can become vices. And this is the landscape, you know, where the shadow wants to hide in plain sight. The devil is always dapper, right? The small self is going to act like love when really it's just keeping us away from the love that we really want. And it's just keeping itself away from the love that it really wants, right? The ego as I've said before, is really just looking for love and it's going to resist. Personally, I thought I got free of a lot of this stuff when I let go of all my Catholic indoctrination. I thought I let go of it, but it just like, it's like whack-a-mole. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I thought I was free because yoga, because Vipassana, because retreat center, but really, you know, I just swapped the Ten Commandments for the concept of karma. And I just like went to town proving how spiritually meritorious I was. <laughs> and who was I proving that to? I was proving that to like 
everybody that I put on a spiritual pedestal to the invisible Buddha in the sky and to my energy worker and to the goddess Kali herself as proven myself to the goddess. That's messed up. What we call self-development is sadly often just that, more development of a limited self. When what the heart is calling for is fewer selfies and more soul. Hey, I have a loving reminder. Like literally, I have loving reminders for you. When you pre-order my new book, How to Be Loving, I'm going to send you a loving reminder voice memo every single Sunday for a year. So it's like 30 seconds or three minutes of me giving you something heart-centered to possibly guide your way that day. So it's really simple. You can pre-order the book from any of your favorite bookstores. We particularly love indie bookstores. You order the book, and then you just give us your receipt number. Pretty much anything will work. And you go into daniellelaporte.com slash howtobeloving. Let us know your receipt number, and that will activate your year of loving reminder voice memos and some other sweet treats I have in store. Okay, here's to love. Thank you. I think it's fair enough to say that universally, we can assume that when we're on the spiritual path, we're going to be more accepting, more accepting of other people, more welcoming. You know, it's about creating a sense of belonging, community, right? But what gets really tricky in this space is that we spiritual folk tend to cast out the parts of ourselves that we deem as unspiritual, which isn't very spiritual behavior. So we each have a persona. It's inevitable. It's part of incarnating and being in this dimension. We have a persona. We have ideologies that come from the society that we're raised in, from our families. We have we have cultural inclinations, naturally. We have bodies that we want to take care of. But we don't need to pummel the personality out of ourselves to be more spiritual. We don't need to divide ourselves from our culture, from our upbringing, from our persona, from our bodies. And it's a long way around. I've done all of these things, right? I want to be less of my past. I want to be less attached to my body. I want to transcend this, that, and the other aspect of just, you know, being human. But that's really not very holy. You know, even the great masters, the true mystics, have their own kind of personality flair. They're not blank. They have their spice. They have their edge. They have a persona. The loving move is to honor all of that, to honor our upbringings and our accents and our various pleasures and our pains. But here's the thing. This is where we really move into the meta conversation is that our identity structures, the personalities and the cultural inclinations they really do help us navigate for a while. I mean, we need a persona to kind of push through the mire of society 
and we're going to struggle with it. We're going to love who we are. We're going to hate who we are. We're going to want to abandon it. We're going to want to over-accentuate our personality structures. But eventually, we're going to have to wake up. And instead of being beholden to who we think we are, whether we're a Gemini or a Virgo or where we were born or what we were born into, we're going to have to get beyond that and go to work for source. So to put a fine point on this, the trouble comes in when we over-identify with where we came from, when we give too much privilege to the personality, when we really define our lives by what works for us and what doesn't work for us. We become really hard to please. We become very botherable. We become political. We become, in very subtle ways, kind of separatist. So too much clinging to our personality traits. So in a lot of self-help circles, we're actually really just getting trained to be more shadowy about things, to like celebrate our personality traits. And while we should do that, the danger comes in clinging to who we think we are, right? So when we cling to our personality traits, often in the guise of like, look how awesome I am, we end up getting really congested with opinions. It's like we're just identities within identities. And we can see this bleeding into the social media sphere, right? Where so many of us feel this pressure to be really out and vocal about how we identify and the issues that we identify with. And there's this really subtle, sometimes not so subtle pressure to like stake our claims about what we think about world events and culture and aesthetics. And those claims relate to our identity and our persona and to who we are. And you can see where this is going. It's brittle. It's divisive. It's clinging when the root of all faith has to do with letting go of patterns and paradigms so that the truth can, maybe infiltrate isn't the best word, but so that the truth can enter into our mind and our hearts and our actions and our deeds. But the shadow is going to push, right? The shadow nature is always pushing us to pick a side. Division, division. Pick a side and go public with it. And when we do that from the shadow, not from the heart, there's so many times to take a stand for what you believe in on behalf of love. When it's not coming from love, the mind gets more steely, less flexible. The mind is less open to the possibility of actually changing our mind. We are not open to changing our opinions. And that is the seed of cancel culture. Cancel culture is really this vicious cycle of having exceedingly high standards that are all generated by an unhealed self. So the more attached that we get to our individual preferences, then the more alone we might seem, we might feel. And what happens when you feel alone? You want to belong. Okay, so we grip harder to our opinions. We feel more on the outside. And then we're just going to fight harder to belong to a group. 
And when we fight to belong to a group, we will contort ourselves. We will shift our personalities. We will do whatever it takes to get on the inside. And then we become more polarized. And when we become more divided from each other, more divided from sources of loving kindness, we make more demands. We become professionally bothered. And if we require people in circumstances to behave a certain way for our comfort and our happiness and to earn our so-called respect, then we are never going to know real intimacy or peace for that matter. If we prefer everything to be clean and people to be polite and our personal definition of progressive or we need everybody to be punctual or maybe we want everybody to be more laid back and just like ready to roll. Maybe we only respect those who are emboldened. If we have all of those preferences, then really what we're doing is we're just setting up all sorts of qualifiers for connection and happiness more blockades to what we crave the most, which is connection and happiness. Okay, but here's the thing, and this is where the medicine is. All the demands, the excessive demands that we place on the outside world, they're really just a projection of our own inner critic, our harsh inner critic, which means we can heal this. We got this. If someone is walking through the world feeling that no one and nothing is good enough for them, they might have this driving belief within themselves that they are not good enough for the world. This is how it works, right? Everything, everything is mostly a projection. You know, striving to be perfect, wanting everyone else to go along with those idealizations of what it means to be perfect or spiritual or evolved We create all those ideals about how to relate, but no one actually gets loved for who they are. It's bonkers. I mean, really, this is just the unfolding of this inner war that so many of us have going on where we're looking for love, but we feel unlovable. Maybe I should say that again because that really sums up the insanity of the human condition. Looking for love, but feeling unlovable. So we can project our shortcomings, our perceived shortcomings, our faults onto others. And a lot of times what that does is it kind of lets us off the hook for loving ourselves, right? So we could say to someone that we're in relationship with, you're not a great communicator. But really that's just deflecting our responsibility for becoming a better communicator. Maybe we're the kind of person that needs everything on the outside of us to be clean and quiet. And the reason we require that is because we're just actually repressing our own feelings of clutter and shame. World's got to be quiet because we're noisy inside. Everybody got to be organized because we feel cluttered. If you don't feel good enough... No one and nothing outside of you is ever going to feel good enough to you. We can miss out on so much love because we have these excessive preferences and these really stern identifications, you know? It limits the diversity in our lives, you know? 
Vegetarians only, vaxxed, non-vaxxed, just the conservatives. Please, be my religion. Or maybe you're like even trickier and you just need people to have like equal levels of optimism and Armageddon think. And it just goes on and on how we curate all of these standards and necessities for people to get our love. Really what we're doing is just adding to a very long list of points that are polarizing us in a world that desperately, desperately needs to unite. And when I say desperate, I mean deep, natural, universal yearning to belong to each other. So think about all the people that you've yet to meet, all these wonderful, controversial, trying, encouraging, comforting, inspiring beings in one form or another who are going to enter your life after today. What if they are nothing like you think they're going to be, but they end up being the most loving people you have ever met? You know, the small self has this perspective of who you're going to fall in love with. The small self already has a very clear point of view about who's going to make it on your list of respectable and inspiring and successful and together. But the heart doesn't care. <laughs> the heart is going to let people be who they are, and you are going to be touched by the love that they embody. Maybe they're going to be more successful in a way that, that you ever imagined you could be comfortable with. Maybe they might be way deeper than you are right now. They're going to take you to new places. Maybe one of the most loving people that you've ever met is incredibly uptight. Maybe their beliefs about how the world works or should work are completely different than yours, but they're still one of the most loving people you've ever met. But love is like that, right? All you need to remember is that gentleness, inclusiveness, and divine love are currently counterculture. I think in every which way, you know, this starts with family, it bleeds into religion, into the educational system, into science, into economics. We are constantly taught to control our environment. When really, <laughs> what we should be doing is getting in touch with what's going on inside of us. It's not about bringing more structure to the outside world. It's about bringing more insight into our inner landscape. We want peace on the outside. We need to create peace from within. And it ripples out from there. All wars end within each of us. But I don't think the ego mind wants us to know that. It's the conflict that keeps the ego alive, perpetuates the division. It's peace that has the ego mind relax. And then you can think clearly. And when you think more clearly, you are going to choose more loving thoughts. When you have more loving thoughts, you are going to be in better relationship with all the parts of yourself and every human around you. And I just want us to remember when we're in our 
spiritual communities, when we're rooting for our causes, when we are preaching and being preached to about unity and peace and love and what's right for everybody. I mean, is there anything that's right for everybody other than love? Yeah. I just want us to remember the principles of inclusiveness. There's no one to control, and there's everyone to love. And in that dance, our attachments to who we think we are, who we think we need to be, who we've been striving to become for so long, they start to melt. Our goals start to dissipate and shift. And of course, we're still going to have preferences and ideals and tastes and standards, and we can have all of those things that are a part of our uniqueness, and we can embrace others. Standards are a form of discernment. They're a form of wisdom. I'm talking about the standards and the ideologies that come from the heart. The heart knows what's conducive to wellness. Can you imagine a body politic that was run on that ideology? All policies were built on what is conducive to real wellness for everybody. So authentic wellness, not fake, sugar-fueled, money-driven lifestyles. Real wellness, and for all of us, not just some people who can afford it, not just some people in certain neighborhoods or countries. True wellness for all beings. The heart knows what's what. So then the question becomes, in all of our organizations and our communities, spiritual and otherwise, what are we basing our standards of morality on? And I think there's really only two choices. Are we basing our standards of morality on social appearances, on what's going to make us look good within our tribe but is really divisive? Or are we basing our standards of morality on unity consciousness? Are we rooted in love? We know how to do this. We know what's conducive of love. We know it's time to let love be the game changer that it is. How does every living thing on the planet grow? How does it thrive? How does it all overcome whatever kind of disease strikes it, right? Not by walling off, not by sterilization. We grow through adapting. Resilience is all about adaptability. Adaptability is a characteristic of love. Love is flexible. Love is spacious. Love is accommodating. Love can hold bothness. Love can hold your botherability and your personality and your belief and your persona structures and all of that and everybody else's persona structures. It's both. You get to be you and we all get to be us. We thrive when we have enough love to adapt. We adapt to the novel substances and all the circumstances that come our way. Whether we're a little amoeba or a person, or a whole corporate culture. We keep growing when we keep including. It's like trees that grow sideways when they're in really windy places. 
So much in this development space, we hear about taking a stand. I'm all for that, but I think there is a shadow side to that. I think the brighter side, let's say, is more about the fluidity of love. (laughs) That love is always generating more love. It's always moving. This is the beauty of stillness, right? When you're really still, you move into that contemplative space. When you give your soul the gift of slowing down, what do you feel in that emptiness? Feel this pulse. Feel this vibration. And when I'm still enough and I can tap into that, that vibration feels eternal. It's like it has no beginning. It has no end. It feels together. It's like the pulse is pulsing with infinity and it's pulsing with me. And my job here today is to dance with it. I need to be flexible to dance with it. So the ideal, if I compose one, (laughs) not to be overattached to any ideal, but ideally, this is about the flow. The flow is counter to the way that the ego behaves in our lives. It's much more uptight and clingy and strict. Now, if we become more fluid with our assumptions, then we become more generous with our love for ourselves and everybody else, and then we become less botherable. And let me tell you, it's such a great place to live because then something really beautiful and sometimes really unsettling then begins to happen. As we bend more, as we open more, then the part of us that's afraid, our scared self, begins to trust. And then our spiritual immune system begins to get stronger more robust, vibrant, and we become more immune to discontent and more magnetic to goodness. And really, really, that fluidity and that generosity, that unbotherability is how to be loving. Thank you so much for listening, for feeling, for spreading the word with love.